You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Simon Furman, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Transformers, Episode 5, covering a period of the Transformers from 1989 to 1990. We're coming up to the end here. It's the last... 1990 is the last year of G1, as most people are concerned. Yeah. We're not going to get to the end in this in this episode. We'll have one more episode after this. But anyway, I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your Transformers expert, Peter Haw. And this is such a this is such a weird volume because half of it is the end of Bob Budiansky's run and half of it is the beginning of Simon Furman's run. And let me tell you, they're so different. I was uh, so surprised. I mean, you you warned me that this was coming. Oh, up. I, I yeah. Like, <laughs> but I I mentioned to Curtis that as much as you know we owed Bud Budiansky, like I felt like towards the end of his run, I wasn't as excited about the issues. Yeah. As soon as Simon Furman came along, um, this story is, I don't even know what it is really, but you just, they're just, they're such a breath of fresh air. Yeah. And that uh, it almost feels like there's more of a direction for them to go in right now. Because up until this point, I feel like it really felt like a, uh, a formulaic situation where new toy comes out, introduce a new toy, figure out some story, one-off storyline. You could have them be in an adventure in, and then move on to the next thing. But with Simon Furman, I felt like the story really became focused and it seemed to know where it was going to be going. Yeah. And um, you were more invested in the characters, even though um, even towards the end of this volume, a lot of them were one-off characters that you weren't going to see again. That's true. But as soon as he steps in the picture, Optimus Prime becomes a focal character again. And we get to see characters that we haven't seen in a long time. He restores people like Bumblebee and... And it's like, that's, that's what Transformers fans want. I, that's what I wanted. Because in the first, you know, the first three volumes of this series that we, that we talked about, the first few episodes, like we got so attached to, uh, to all of those, those early characters. You know, Jazz and Prowl and Ratchet and Wheeljack and all of those guys. And they haven't been seen in years now. They're gone. And I miss them. Yeah. And so when Simon Furman comes back and brings a bunch of them back, that's fantastic. That's what I want. I'm actually kind of wondering about that though. Did he bring them back? Because at this time, in this in this era, this toy series, th- there was a situation where they brought back Bumblebee, Jazz, and Grimlock in uh, a new toy version. I remember when the commercial came out for this. It was uh, the Pretender Classics, right. and they were hyping up the fact that it was the original characters coming back. And I wasn't sure was that the toy department that did that, and then Simon Furman got to run with it, or was it Simon Furman's idea? I don't think so. I, I'm pretty sure it was the toy department, yeah. And just like Bob had to go with what was going on with the toys, Simon did as well. But it, it worked to his advantage. And he, he grasped it and ran with it. Like, you're not going to pass up the chance to bring back Grimlock, right? <laughs> no, no. I mean, even to this day, like, no one cares about, you know, re-releases of the later series yeah. of Transformers. Everybody wants the original line. Of course. The, 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 um, the ones from the first few years. Yeah, well, that's... 
who made the big splash. That's what people were attached to. So there are some characters that do appear later on um, that are not part of the original Earthbound Autobots like uh, Impactor, who do become popular. But for the most part, most of these characters that we are seeing in the comics at this point, they're, they're one-offs that you don't really ever see again, that you, no one really cares about. I know, I certainly didn't care. But by the end of these, uh, even toward the end of this volume, I, when I first started reading these Transformers comics, I made a point of like writing all of the names down as they came along and trying to keep track of who's who. But now I just don't care. By the point we're at in this series, I just, whenever there's these, 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 all of these new characters that come on, I just, it's like, they don't matter. We're never going to see them again. I'm not, I don't pay attention to carefully to who they are anymore. Yeah. There's just too much. And I mean, even, um, even, I mean, the fact that I have to have an encyclopedia of every single character. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, I wouldn't worry about it too much, Kurt. Yeah, the X-Men are getting to the B that point now as well. <laughs> There's so many X-Men. Oh, man. Okay, so I have some listener comments for this particular volume. I asked on social media for people to give some feedback about the issues found within. Will says the best thing about this volume is also the best thing that ever happened to Transformers. Simon Furman takes over. And he's the best writer ever with James Roberts a close second when he wrote IDW's More Than Meets the Eye. Uh, and then Gavin says, I completely agree with Will. My first co comics reading experience was Transformers UK with Simon Furman writing. When he took over the U.S. Title II, he created an epic tale from 56 to 80, 80 being the last issue, uh, which utilized a huge cast, interweaving numerous plot points and building up to one of the greatest single issues of any title I've ever read, number 75. So that's going to be in the next volume. We're not going to talk about that one in this, in this issue. Uh, that's an interesting point. You said you're not exactly sure what it is that makes Simon's different. Simon's well, later, later it, on, later on, um, like I, I think you remember, I've, I've read these a long time ago, so yeah. I do know how good they become. Um, but just in this volume alone, you can see the contrast between yeah. their, their storytelling. And if I was to actually look at, at this point in this particular volume, I couldn't put a finger on exactly what it is he does different so much. I mean, like he's still doing the trope of introducing the new toy, give him a give him a story arc for one episode, and then moving along. But there's something else happening there too, and I can't quite put my finger on it. Well, he slowly is introducing uh, subplots, and that's something that uh, Budiansky really didn't do. He uh, there's there's these subplots with. Um, Optimus going through his, you know, existential crisis. Mm. Uh, there's, um, there's the whole ratchet thing that actually takes several issues to go. The fact that it's an ongoing story, even from kind of the beginning, is something that's different in this book. Well, see, what... that's the thing. Is it different or is it just more of what we liked at the beginning? Because remember, there was that whole period near the beginning when it was just ratchet by himself. That's true. Right? Yeah. And we've had other, like, I feel like it's stuff we have seen before, but it feels fresh somehow. Maybe it's because yeah. we haven't had it in a while. Like That could be. He also takes all of these characters off planet, which I know that they were off planet for the big, you know, the big battle in space around issue 50 and such. But um, these last few issues uh, wrapping up Odiansky's run are all earthbound. There's like dealing with wrestling and, you know, all this kind of stuff, earthbound situations. Let's get back to the kind of the, kind of the cosmic scope. And especially toward the end, we're introducing more of the lore of Transformers that, that Bob really didn't touch on at all. Mm. So that, that's kind of cool. Uh, let's see. Another comment here is from Stephen Gerard. He says, Simon Furman is Primus, <laughs> a true god <laughs> of the Transformers. His writing brought together all of the points of, from the series so far, as well as the UK stories, into one almighty epic story and conclusion. And then continued it for another five issues to give another amazing ending. 
And then Brad says, in a death as shocking as Prime's death, I was in near tears as a kid when the star of the comic book died, but it was not Optimus Prime. It was, and I don't want to say it because it's a spoiler, but the character who bites the bullet in this volume here, he was more affected by that one than Prime's death. (laughs) <laughs> Which I guess is true. Prime's death was in a video game. It was really not a great, a great ending. For no, that I mean, character. I mean, I told. I think we mentioned this in the last episode. Optimus Prime dying is a meme now. Yeah, <laughs> it, that's there, right. there is no weight to that death anymore. We're we're all waiting for it to happen. Yeah. Every time there's a new inca- incarnation. But the yeah, the character who who dies in this volume, which we'll get to when we talk about that issue, mm. way better of a story. I oh think. yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Just before we start, I want to say that this episode is brought to you by Dying Breed Collectors. If you would like to purchase any Epic Collections and take advantage of some excellent customer service and uh, really great packing and shipping uh, standards, then uh, go over to Dying Breed Collectors and enter Epic Marvel Podcast, all one word, as a promo code for 10% off any Epic Collection that you buy through them. Okay, well, shall we go on to our issues here? All right. Which issue are we starting with today? Issue that we're starting first is issue number 51, Slaughter on the Slopes. Uh, well, that's, sorry, that is the tagline on the cover page. You see a headless Fort Max at a ski resort with uh, a couple of pretender animals chasing him. And the issue itself is called The Man in the Machine. Now, Kurt, one thing I want to point out, first of all, and this always made me wonder, is this real or is this fake? This is the first issue that introduced the new logo for the Transformers. So up until this point, and if you, uh, any listeners out there are the the younger generation, and you're used to seeing the current logos for Transformers, they're based off of the original G1 logo. This was kind of later on in the run. They kind of tried to make the logo look a bit more, how should I say, high tech. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't really know how to compare the two, but they're the, the, uh, the, um, the script is different. And I remember when I first saw toys at the store using this logo on the packaging, I was wondering if they had made knockoffs of the original Transformers. Oh, yeah. I wasn't expecting, I mean, like, yeah, anyway. With an, with a logo change, you expect like a new direction or whatever, but it really is kind of just the same same old same old. The story revolves around Spike, and this is kind of the last time we're going to see Spike in a long time. A very long time, actually. Now that I'm thinking, I'm trying to remember what happens in the next volume, but I don't think we're going to see the Witwikis for a while. Yeah. So and Buster's not in this volume at all. Oh no, he is. He is. There's a brief moment here uh, on page nine. Oh yeah, one panel where where's him and Spark Plug. <laughs> we get to see the father and two sons, and uh, basically Spike's quit being uh, a headmaster, yep. and he's having uh, nightmares about uh, cables trying to get him to come back, and he's like, nope, I'm not doing this anymore, and he uh, wants to go skiing. You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong here. I was so sure during the headmaster saga that when a human becomes a headmaster, they're like like part robot. They're They're not wearing suits. They're not wearing suits, yeah. So uh, how can you just quit being a headmaster? I think they retconned that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, even, yeah, in the, on page 10 of the top panel, you see uh, Spike being fitted with panels. It looks like they're welding it onto him. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, look, I guess it's just a suit you can take off whenever you want. Because that was the thing about becoming a headmaster. It was a sacrifice. You were, your whole life was changing because you could not go back. Like it was, this, this, this was a very serious thing yeah. to become a headmaster. But now it's like, oh, no, no, I can just take off the armor and not be a headmaster now. I mean, well, they, they do kind of address it. I mean, he still has a mental connection to Fortress Maximus. Yeah. 
Um, and that's what they get at in this issue. But um, anyway, so what Spike ends up doing is, no, nope, I'm not going to be a headmaster anymore. I'm just going to leave and I'm going to go skiing now. And he has the, he still has the helmet from the suit, which he was told to keep by Optimus Prime just in case. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, nope, I'm done with this. And so uh, Spike and his friend uh, end up driving to a junkyard and he just throws the helmet away. In, the, in a junkyard. That'll be safe. That'll be fine. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Anyway, so they go they go skiing, and then we have uh, two Decepticon pretenders, uh, Snarler and Carnivac, and they can smell the helmet, and they find the helmet at a junkyard, and it's just the helmet, but they can also still spell Spike, and so they're going to go hunt down Spike. These guys are huge, too. Like, that helmet fits on the tusk of the one that looks like a boar, and uh, they like they're just walking around the city or yeah, whatever, just, just being just, huge. They can still smell them, and they chase them up to the slopes, and then, uh, sure enough, they get into a scuffle, and Spike realizes the error of his ways, that even without the helmet, he still has a kind of a connection to Fortress Maximus, and uh, he ends up calling the body of Fortress Maximus uh, down. It's kind of selfish, I think, on Spike's part to just give up being a headmaster because then doesn't Fortress Maximus not have any ability to function? No, he doesn't. He doesn't work. So it's like Fortress Maximus is a sentient being. And Spike's like, yeah, I don't care about that. I don't want to be a headmaster anymore. (laughs) Anyway, Spike realizes he needs Fortress Maximus. And so he calls him down using, I guess, a kind of mental connection, telepathy or whatever. Uh, Fortress Maximus's body leaves the Ark in space, comes down to rescue Spike, but Spike can't quite control the body fully without the helmet. So Spike and his friend manage to get the helmet away from the Decepticons, and Spike puts it on, and he proceeds to basically uh, dist- beat up the Decepticons. Yeah, and he's like, um, "Yeah, I guess I got to do this again." <laughs> <laughs> so as much as I didn't like the idea of Spike quitting, I actually did enjoy this issue because it it did offer us something different. It offered us a look at the way that Fortress Maximus and Spike work together, like the the fact that they have that mental bond or mental connection. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, I liked the just the dream sequences as well. And it, it allowed Jose Delbo, the artist, to, I think, just take a break from drawing robots. Yeah. Because he's a good artist, but his robots aren't that great. And so, so we have, uh, the, the focus is human characters, and they're skiing, and there's nature, and the, even the pretenders are more animal-looking than robot-looking. So it's like, this was kind of actually nice. I, I didn't mind this issue at all. Moving on to issue 52 of the Transformers. The issue is called Guess Who the Mechanibals Are Having for Dinner, which is a shot at Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Yes, the Sidney Poitier (laughs) movie. That's a great movie. Um, We start this issue out. uh, It's a pretender-centric issue. Uh, We have a space bar, not unlike Moss Eisley. They don't like serving droids here. That's got to be a direct (laughs) reference. It has to be. Absolutely. Uh, there, there are two Autobot pretenders, Cloudburst and Landmine, and uh, they're of course they're giant uh, humans. But you know, oh, that's something you also notice in the, in this issue, right, Kurt? That the, a lot of the humanoids they meet are robot sized, right? So that they don't have to deal with the whole size issue. Yep. Um. Anyway. The mission that Cloudburst and Landmine are sent, uh, they're sent to, uh, to go to the space station because apparently there is probably a way to find uh, microchips that are necessary to rebuild all the dead Autobots that are aboard the Ark right now. Without these chips, they won't be able to repair them. They so, need millions of them, yeah. apparently. <laughs> so Cloudburst and Landmine are to go to this bar to locate a supplier of some type. So this is the issue where I think my brain just turned off 
uh, in terms of just not caring really about the stories, but also just not caring about these Transformers. In this one, I found it so incredibly confusing because there are there are uh, Transformers who are human who are pretending to be robots, and then there are Transformers who are robots that are pretending to be humans, and they look so similar that I, I honestly couldn't keep track of who was who or which ones were bad guys and which ones were human and which ones were in robot mode and which ones were out of their pretending shells. And like, it was just, yeah. a, it was a mess. This issue was just all over the place. And once I figured out what the story was, uh, or like wh- which players were, were, were there, I, 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 I did like actually the plot and how they went about kind of solving their problem, but it was still really confusing trying to keep track of which characters were which. Also, like, these are the first time we've met any of these characters, right? We have met Darkwing and Dreadwind. But the Autobots themselves, I believe, this is the first time we're... Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, no, no. We would have met them last issue when the Autobot Dreadnought? Pretenders first showed up. Darkwing and Dread... What is it? Dreadnought? Dreadnight? <laughs> they... <laughs> Darkwing and Dreadwind. Dreadwind, yeah. But they're, they're the ship, right? Yes. So the... they're not even the major players in this story. No, They are not. not the robots pretending to the, be human. Uh, the Power Master uh, Nebulans are. Yeah. But anyway, uh, a couple things that were interesting... Page 37, you see Cloudburst and Landmine walking through the seedy part of the space station. And it's implied that you can get anything you want in this area. And there's like, I'm assuming that that is an alien prostitute. <laughs> yep, by definitely. the dress and the posture. <laughs> That's how seedy this is. Yeah. I, I was actually wondering how far they could push. I, I can't, there was something I saw that made me... Oh, yeah. Uh, the middle panel of page 37 says, uh, moments later, sorry, no microchips, but I can get you an excellent price on Antaresian pleasure slaves. And, and I'm like, is that allowed? Is this a kid's comic? <laughs> like, I wasn't sure what was like pushing the boundary for a kid's comic, but anyway. Well, if it's PG, I mean, you remember the scene from Guardians of the Galaxy number two where they're at the very beginning, they're like in this some sort of brothel or something. And that's a PG movie as well. So Was it a PG-13? I think all the no, Marvel movies are PG-13. I think it's PG. Oh, is it PG-13? I yeah, think they're all But PG-13. even still, like that's, uh, that's <laughs> still, if you're letting 13-year-olds, 13 that's probably the target demographic of these books as well by this point. Yeah, you know, this issue and the, sec- the sequel, nothing really to write home about. Basically, the dealers of the microchips that they're looking for uh, they look like critters. They yeah, look like, like the the critters from that '80s uh, horror movie. Yep. They're they're the cannibals or killer tomatoes. Or ki- yes, actually, killer tomatoes <laughs> more. Yes, yes. Okay, so they have Skylinks. Skylinks who's been missing for a while. They find Skylinks. They're going to eat him because these cannibals are cannibals. They eat ro- robots, <laughs> which is a funny concept. But... Oh, and it turns out. The big, uh, the big gag is that the microchips that these guys have, the reason why they have so many microchips is that they regurgitate the microchips after they eat other robots. <laughs> and so now there's a moral dilemma. It's like, well, we need these microchips, but they're actually taken from dead robots. So maybe we don't want the microchips anymore. But the robots are eaten, like they're digested and everything. Like they don't. I don't know. I don't I, need them. But anyway, they yeah. Skylinks is there, and they realize that they need to rescue him to rescue him as well because he's a fellow Autobot. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and so there's also this dilemma because they're pretending to be robots. No, they're, they're yeah, very they're, humans. They're pretending to be humans, but they can't let other people know. And then the these Decepticons are in the employ of 
of the of the mechan mechanibals or <laughs> no I don't know the mechanibals don't like robots they yeah. want to eat all robots so um, the cloudburst and landmine are able to pretend to be humans so that they don't get eaten by the mechanibals but the mechanibals eventually find out that they actually are robots and that they're gonna eat them yeah and the way they manage to uh, barter their way out of the situation is they're willing to go on a mission. For the mechanicals. Um, yeah, this is this was really contrived. So this is the next issue, right? Yeah, this is the next issue. What, what issue is this? And this is issue number 53. Um, the issue is called Recipe for Disaster. Basically, <laughs> yes, that's for um, sure. I think, it's, is it Landmine? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> okay, so Cloudburst pleads with the mechanicals not to eat them yet. Because even though they're robots and mechanicals eat robots, they would taste so much better if they had more... Like a special like sauce special or something. sauce or something like that. <laughs> and that you shouldn't eat us yet. You need to get this special sauce and all these spices to really prepare us so that it will be actually tasty when you eat us. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you go and get those yeah, yourself. Yeah. And so the mechanical's <laughs> like, okay, we'll let you go and get the sauce yourself. But you have to come back so we can eat you. have to come back you. so we can eat you. I'm like, what? But and, and I'm like, why would they just let them go? And then I realized, oh, they have a, I think they had a hostage or something. Oh, is it Skylinks? Skylinks is their hostage. No, Skylinks got away already. I think. I don't know. Yeah, Skylinks already got away. I can't remember what the what what exact exact incentive they had not to double cross them. Oh, here you go. That's right. Because the human uh, that they met in the previous issue was being held hostage. Oh yeah. The the, the human who was oh, friends man. with Skylinks. It's just such a yeah. It's just such a mess. But anyway. That is all whatever. What is kind That's of only fun, the first few pages of the story. What is kind of fun, though, is that they, uh, to get the, the crystals that they need to, you know, make themselves into gourmet meals is located on this planet called Femax. Femax. <laughs> and when they land, it looks like it's inhabited by a bunch of, uh, like, Neanderthals. Um, funny enough, they are the exact same size as Cloudburst and Landmine. And when they go, when Cloudburst and Landmine um, look around, they find this cave that leads into this paradise and run by a bunch of it looks like amazonian warriors and uh men are forbidden to be in this land apparently on this planet men are those neanderthals but the women are like gorgeous looking viking women um and uh men are forbidden from coming into this place and the men are, are buffoons um every now and then if a man proves himself worthy enough then he will be able to go to the women's area which is bountiful and they're even allowed to mate with the women that's how apparently <laughs> they choose their partners and so Landmine and Cloudburst end up meeting the head, uh, I guess, your highness. What is it? The head Femaxian. The head Femaxian. <laughs> um, and after going through some rigorous tests, uh, Cloudburst manages to win over uh, Milady. But he's a robot. But he's a robot. Disguised as a human. <laughs> so she, she's like, you can have anything you want. And uh, this is what I'm wondering about. Like, this is a kid's comic. What are we talking about here? Anyway. Uh, he tells her, no, you know what, uh, as much as I appreciate, you know, everything, uh, I can't be your mate because I'm a robot. Yeah. And so he, <laughs> so he sheds his skin, comes out, and she's like, what? You tricked me? Pulls out a sword and decapitates Cloudburn. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I love the, the appropriately placed um, sound effect balloon as well over top of the where the decapitation yes. happens. Yes. <laughs> it's, just, it's a little it was, sensor it was an there. Adam West clonk. Anyway, what ends up happening is Landmine, meanwhile, he manages to talk his way out of getting Kurt killed by her as well. And basically tries to explain that Cloudburst is actually a really good guy and manages to change the queen's opinion. And she realizes that, no, you know what? That was my own fault. <laughs> you guys are actually really good guys. Here, 
I gotta make it up to you. And so she gives them all the crystals that they need. And so they end up trying to leave. Darkwing and Dreadwind show up and Skylinks takes care of them because Skylinks owes Cloudburst and Lama for rescue him earlier. The Autobots end up back at the base where the Mechanibals are and... Do they get the, the microchips? Okay, so this part also didn't make any sense to me. So the Cloudburst and Landmine return to the Mechanibals with the crystals, and uh, they don't want the microchips now. What they want the Mechanibals to do is to use the microchips to rebuild all those robots that they have quote-unquote recycled, in other words, eaten. Uh, and if they don't do this, then Skylinks is going to eat Dreadwing and Darkwing. Which, who cares? I, exactly. Was, how's that motivation? I don't understand how that matters. And then they just leave. Also, it's not something an Autobot's going to do. No, I know. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway. So those, those two issues, they were, just, they were so out there and just so confusing and contrived and ridiculous. I, I've liked a lot of the, the Budiansky stories, but these two were just not good. <laughs> it was just... Oh man, um, yeah, just just ridiculous. Next issue, we're we're having another King Kong reference. Yeah, um, issue fifty four. The issue is called King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> King Kong. Scorponok has a base somewhere in the swamps of New Jersey. And yeah, underground. It's underground. an underground base. And he's got more monster pretenders uh, shooing away any uh, humans that show up to investigate what's going on. This issue introduces us to the Micro Masters. The MicroMasters were a line of toys that came out during the 89 run. And I remember when they first came out, you would buy them in these little blister packs that had four Transformers each. And this was capitalizing on the popularity of another toy that came out a few years earlier than this, known as Micro Machines. Oh, I loved Micro Machines. So for you younger viewers who don't know what a micro machine is, uh, Hot Wheels by the, you know, be all end all is still the king of little miniaturized cars. But for a period in the middle of the 80s, these little toys called micro machines made by a company called Galoo, which were, I'd say half the size of a Hot Wheel that you would, uh, they were the dominant miniature toy car in the world for like a year, two years or so. And um, these micro masters are, not as small as the micro machines, but they were small nonetheless. Uh, smaller than the mini bots um, at, uh, from earlier. Wait, wait, you got to say what the connection between uh, micro machines yes. and Transformers and so, is. <laughs> uh, the spokesperson for micro machines also happens to be the voice of Blur in Transformers the movie. Yep. Yeah, John, guys... John Mashita was the voice of Blur, and he was also the spokesperson for micro machines. And uh, he was known as like the world's fastest talking man. Um, anyway, so in this issue, we get to finally meet the MicroMasters for the first time. I remember the ad campaign for this, Kurt. It was like there was, a, I, I vaguely remember there was a, a Scorponok standing in some sand and the MicroMasters show up and they basically drive up Scorponok and cover him like, like a swarm of ants. And then <laughs> Scorponok falls down. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I still have the four of them actually upstairs. I'll show it to you later. Sure. Anyway. They show up uh, because now there's no longer a space bridge. They have a new kind of transport system. It's just teleportation. Transdimensional warp is what they call it. It's new and untested, but they're able to have, they don't need a space bridge anymore. And so these are the new reinforcements that Optimus Prime uh, calls in from Cybertron because so many Autobots have now died. They need more guys to fight in their place. And their MicroMasters show up. And at first, everyone's shocked because they're so small. Now, here's something. The Pretender's reasoning I didn't particularly like when it first came out. It felt really ham-fisted. This one I buy. They said, they asked, they're asked, why are you so small? 
And it was because Optimus Prime was gone for so long and that the energy resources on Cybertron were so great that they started manufacturing smaller transformers that were much more fuel efficient. And which makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, that that's one of the reasons why that's one of Bumblebee's greatest strengths because as the smallest Autobot, he required the least amount of fuel out of all of them. So it only makes sense if you started making transformers that were smaller. And even later on um, in Beast Wars, I mean, if you don't remember, the characters in Beast Wars, which takes place way, way, way in the future, they're about the size of us humans. In the future or the past? The future. And the past. <laughs> yes. But uh, it's after the uh, quote-unquote great upgrade. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was watching Beast Wars, I thought that they were just regular-sized Transformers. Turns out that no, they're, they're the size of humans because there was that one episode where you saw them compared to the original G1 characters. They're tiny. And yeah, that's uh, right. it makes sense. I mean, we're smaller than dinosaurs. We don't need as much food. There's right. not as much, right? Yep. So it only makes sense that they evolve. Which also brought up something else. I always thought, I guess at the time when I was a kid, I didn't think about this, but now you wonder, Optimus Prime is 4 million years old. I mean, there's even a throwaway line later on this issue where Blur says, I'm over 4 million years old. Why does technology stagnate in Transformers? <laughs> anyway, the Micromasters show up and um, it seems like they're a rowdy bunch who just want to not follow orders. The Decepticons' plan is to create some kind of weather machine, and uh, they're going to gather energy that way. The, the Micromasters are going to go thwart their plan when they find out that the weather machine is going to basically decimate half of New York City. And along the way, they meet a plucky reporter who knows about <laughs> them or something and wants to help them. Yeah, and so this issue, again, was another, like, oh, man, I just don't care about new Transformers, and we're getting a whole bunch of them. And uh, and Optimus isn't even himself in this one because now he's binary bonded with High with High Q, and so like High Q keeps popping up, and like I don't want to see High Q, I just want to see Optimus Prime, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't care what's the what's this new Transformer, the MicroMaster's name? Oh, what? Yeah, exactly. What's his <laughs> name? Just didn't care about him either, and he's got a bad attitude. He's like I don't know, he's full of um, angst and whatever. And then it keeps going. Next issue, the Interplanetary Wrestling Championship. Come on. <laughs> it's uh, funny, uh, in the issue, there is the, um, they literally do wrestling promos. And it's funny because some of the names that they, they use, like fictional names, but I think one of the, one of the wrestlers, the ones that calls out um, the Autobots, uh, his name is Jake. Jake the Snake. Jake the Jackhammer Jackson. And um, as soon as I saw the word Jake, the first thing you think of is Jake the Snake. And even the character himself kind of looks like Jake the Snake. He's got like this long hair. He's got a mustache. Yep, definitely. And he's talking trash at Road Handler um, and says that he could beat up Road Handler. All this uh, stuff about saving New York City. I could have done that and uh, challenges him to a wrestling match. And then um, after all the, uh, the bravado and the cameras are off, they, he actually just talks to him like, a, like I guess a real wrestler would. There's like, okay, that was really good. Let's, let's figure out how we can make this thing work. Yeah. And they start practicing wrestling with each other. <laughs> it's like, and since Road Handler is basically the size of a human, they are able to have this mock wrestling match. Even though Road Handler weighs ninety uh, percent of a ton, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, he teaches uh, Jack, uh, sorry, Jake, how he can lift him up by help by helping and assisting in the throw by jumping. And it's just, it's just weird, man. I wasn't even sure what the point and what the lesson was learned at the end here, because in the end, he becomes a, like the idol of millions. Because he becomes this huge wrestling star. I don't know how much time passes here because he he gets so famous and he has a fan club and everything. Yo, yeah. And then it's like, 
and he then he realizes that you know he's got a higher purpose or a higher calling, and he like he just leaves it all. It's funny because even Lord Zarek shows up with his own micromasters who challenges him to a wrestling match. Right. I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, what, what is? And Lord Zarek's in a suit, and he looks like uh, he looks like Ric Flair when Ric Flair was wearing his suit. I don't know. <laughs> it's definitely a big homage to, at the time, the WWF. Yeah. Yeah, I, there is just so much going on here that I, again, it's just, I didn't care about this. The interesting part about this one also is that um, Bob actually does the, the pencils for the first half of this book. Um, he is an artist himself and he draws several of the covers, but he's never actually drawn interior uh, Transformers issues until this issue, his very last issue. And so if you look at it, uh, one of the things, actually I'll play a clip of him talking about this as well. Editor Don Daly was in a crunch. He didn't have an artist for that issue, and he was begging me uh, to, you know, I, can I draw it? You know, he knew I, he knew I was an artist as well. And uh, the fact that I didn't have issue 56 to write, you know, 55 was my last, so it gave me a little more time in my schedule okay. to allow, allow me to do that. But I really didn't want to draw comic books while I was working as a full-time editor. So I had, a, I had, I had my 9-to-5 job. I was writing a book a month, Transformers, I was occasionally drawing the cover to Transformers. Most of the covers I did not draw, I did layouts for. So even if I didn't have the credit as being the artist on it, I did the layout and gave it to another artist to draw. So I had my hands on a lot of different things. And um, having made my living for a little while uh, as a full-time Marvel artist in the early 80s, and having and comparing that to making a, uh, to also writing a, a monthly comic book. It takes so much, at least for me, it takes so much more time to draw than to write yeah. a, a comic. So it, it was a real um, almost impossibility to consider drawing the book, writing the book, and having a nine-to-five job. Wow. So I, that's why you only saw that last issue. And even that issue, I don't think I even drew the whole issue. I did the layouts for about half of it. So at this point, uh, before we move on, I want to play two clips. I'm going to play a clip from Budiansky talking about finishing up his time on Transformers and passing on the baton. And then I'm going to play a clip from an interview I just did the other day with Simon Furman talking about him stepping into the U.S. comics after having been a part of the U.K. side for so long. Now, having said that, uh, there were during those years, uh, a couple of times Simon visited the Marvel offices. Uh, we met, he said hello, we got along. Um, you know, he was happy to work on, on the, on the Transformers overall and happy to meet me and my, happy to meet the editorial team that worked in the Transformers. And, and then eventually, um, in 1989 and early 89, I took a vacation over to, to London, uh, had lunch with Simon and told him I was ready to leave the book. Would you like to take over? And he was like, yeah, I jumped at the opportunity. And that's how he became the regular writer on the American book, which wasn't by my, by the way, that's not my job as a writer to find new talent. That was really the editor's job, but I'd been I'd been begging the editor for probably a, about a year, like find another writer for this book. I'm ready to move on, oh. and uh, yeah, I mean, I just I had other ideas I wanted to pursue, and I was getting burnt out on con uh, continually having to bring in slew a slew of new characters and move aside all these old characters that I was developing and you know having fun with, and uh, it was it was becoming a little bit of a burnout for me. So so I was looking to move on, and uh, the editor kept. Don Daly was the name of the editor at the time, and he kept begging me, "Please stay. You know, you're you're great. You do a great job. I have nobody else to replace you." And and then finally, I got a hold of Simon, and I said to Don, who had met Simon also, I said, "You know, he's willing to take over as writer." And and so it was a it was a win win. You know, and not only was I, I not only was I quitting, which is what I, which was which is what I was ready to do, but I was able to find Don a, a, a very 
a more than adequate replacement, a great replacement in Simon. You know, I mean, the reason I, I got the U.S. book in many ways was I think uh, Bob just basically said to Don Daly, look, here's a guy who knows this probably as well as I do, maybe more. Certainly, it's a safe pair of hands if, you know, now I want to sort of pass the book on. Right. So, you know, really, it was it was one of those weird transitions where, you know, normally it's the editor making those decisions. But uh, Bob and Art, Bob came over to London in, um, I suppose it would have been 1990, 1989, and we, yeah, probably 1990, and we, and, you know, we always rolled out the red carpet for our visiting guests from Marvel US, but yeah. by then Bob and I knew each other anyway, so we just went out for a lunch in, in London's Covent Garden, and over lunch, Bob just kind of said to me, do you want to take over on the book? And then he more or less went to Don, as far as I know, and said, look, Simon can take it on. So it was just a weird, casual almost transition. But I think Bob just wanted as much as anything to leave the book and Don, you know, and not leave Don high and dry with a, having to sort of bring a new writer in who didn't know the, the brand and didn't know Hasbro. Right. So was that your introduction to US Marvel? It was. So I was completely delighted to grab it with both hands, yeah. really. By this point, Transformers as a toy line was kind of in its last gasps, really, of new releases of toys. You know, it was winding down, and Hasbro's attention was a little more on other brands and newer brands. So, you know, it was it was a time when the sales on the comic were going down accordingly. You know, a lot of the original readers were growing up and moving on, and Bob said to me, you know, the chances are this book will be cancelled within a few issues. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that's okay. You know, I mean, I was, I, I always prefer that kind of level of honesty anyway. For and, sure. And, and, you know, and I was also thinking, well, I don't really mind that much because, you know, it's my foot in the door at Marvel. You know, it's it, it always been a, a cherished ideal to be working for Marvel, the parent company. Right. That I'd grown up reading. And my hope was once I'd opened my account on Transformers, I could move on to other things. So, you know, I was happy with that. But, of course, as it turns out, we spun it out for 25 issues. Yeah. Okay, Kurt. Now, this is not quite halfway yet, but this is definitely where the book, you know, goes in a direction that I'm very pleased with. Yeah. And once again, no disrespect to Budiansky. The guy is a god. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have a lot of these characters that we love to this day. But uh, I think his time on the book, he was done with the book, I feel. Definitely. Yeah, you, you definitely have a sense that he was directionless. And like that that clip that I played, he just got inspiration for an issue from guys talking outside of his office about the wrestling match that yeah. they went to. It's like he didn't have um, an endgame. And at this point, um, because the numbers were so low, he wasn't inspired to have any sort of yeah. endgame as well. I mean, remember, we, we mentioned that this is long after the cartoon is already over. You know, there and the cartoon was the main driving force for the popularity of the Transformers. The toys in the store at this time not particularly great. Like we're talking about Pretenders and MicroMasters. There's nothing really good down the pipeline coming up. We've already had. I think the. I feel like the last big hurrah was the Power Masters, and everything else after is kind of slowly going downhill. But what that does is it means that Simon Furman has more freedom. Yeah. 
to to do his own thing uh, because the heyday of Transformers is done. Hasbro's not paying as much attention to what's going on. They're still they're still saying things like, "Hey, can you put these toys in here?" But they're not as hands-on as they were in the early days of the comic, mm. sure. And right away, uh, this next issue, this is issue number 56. It's called the Attack of the Airstrike Patrol, which is a Decepticon Micromaster team. But right away, first page, the title is Back from the Dead. I'm already happy. Right. We've got a picture of Blaster's headless body with his head screaming with Jazz and Grimlock and Goldbug all yelling at Ratchet. And I'm already happy. Yeah, no kidding. We haven't seen these guys in ages. Like, when was the last time we saw Ratchet? Yeah. Didn't even know he was still alive. It's the blaster art that I... It's the original blaster art, which I love, where he has the helmet on with the uh, the visor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a nightmare. It's Ratchet just being super stressed out that he's trying all he can to repair all these Transformers, but he just can't do it. Yeah, and more and more of them are coming to him every day, it seems. Yeah. Like, he's just overwhelmed and stressed out at the enormity of his task. And I like that concept, that he's he's, he's always been a confident character. Uh, he, he does his job, and he's been kind of the loyal... The loyal guy to see him have a you know struggling with this is also something that's new that simon Furman is bringing to the table when we first started doing this podcast kurt you mentioned you were shocked at how ratchet is such a big character right he's beloved and uh he he's a common denominator for sure and so ratchet is trying to figure out what the heck he can do how is he supposed to fix all of his friends everyone is depending on him and there's nothing he can do about it uh, now, Decepticon Micromaster Airstrike Patrol shows up and they start wreaking havoc. And it seems like there is some kind of ploy at work here. The Decepticons, the Micromasters, they attack this uh, new... There is a, a showing for a new type of refueling plane, the B-204. It's being showcased by the American military. And the Micromasters show up to take control of the plane. To which, of course, Optimus and the few Autobots that are still left on the Ark have to go and intervene. And since there's barely any Autobots left, the arc is essentially unprotected with just Ratchet being there. And I love that. It places him in this hard situation where he is uh, supposed to defend the arc and all of these fallen comrades. It really, and, and he's already stressed out and anxious as it is. And now the bad guys come and like... It's the uh, Micromaster, uh, the Decepticon Micromaster car team. I can't remember what they're called. Does it really matter? It matters. <laughs> Oh, the sports car could patrol team. Um, so while the airstrike could patrol team is on Earth distracting the Autobots and led them away from the Ark, the sports car patrol team, which disguise themselves as Autobots, uh, invade the Ark and try to take it over. Now that is interesting because the Decepticons are not usually cars. So that would make sense why Bumblebee would trust them because they're in a Ratchet, form or Ratchet. sorry that Ratchet would trust them is because they're in a form that he is used to seeing he, he would never see a Decepticon vehicle like a car a, a ground car before and who is behind this devious master plan final page splash Megatron lives again so that's perfect like this is all of a sudden not only are we seeing these characters that that we haven't seen for a long time but Megatron is back too like <laughs> finally Meg I'm tired of Scorponok I never liked him He's, I, I don't remember if I never liked him. I, I'm sure he had some You good don't like Scorponok. Oh, yeah. You will love Scorponok. <laughs> but right now, I'm reading these. It's funny how your perceptions change. As a kid, I guess I just remember the issues where he was awesome. But all these issues I've been reading, you're right. Scorponok, is, he's, just, he's just the I'll get you next time gadget. Yeah, the, like, the nah. only villain, the only leader that the Decepticons have had that I've really been impressed with was um, Shockwave. Shockwave. And that's, that's it. Megatron has been kind of lame and... 
And Starscream, of course, is awful. And, and, and Scorponok, like, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> but finally, at least they're getting this guy back because there's the, you know, the age-old rivalry of Optimus Prime and Megatron that we've been missing for all this time. Optimus Prime and Scorponok don't have that same sort of historical no. uh, history. But not just that, though, Kurt. I feel like Megatron Ratchet, there's a lot of history there. Like, yeah. yeah right? and, so, and even on the next issue now. Oh, the, uh, the editorial note on the back mentions that uh, it appears that the sales of this book were quite poor when he took over from Budiansky and cancellation was imminent. Conversely, over the course of the next few months, sales skyrocketed to over 90,000 copies per month. It would take two full years until the book would be fully canceled. The next issue, issue 57, Megatron returns on the cover. There is a picture of Megatron blowing Ratchet apart using his fusion cannon. The issue's title is Resurrection Gambit. And uh, Megatron's back, looking uh, menacing as ever. Ratchet is in a daze because he can't figure out what's going on. And in front of Ratchet is the deactivated bodies of Grimlock, Goldbug, and Jazz. And Ratchet is uh, frustrated with himself for having to deal with this and not sure what he can do. But Megatron has plans for him. Megatron needs Ratchet to repair someone for him. And it's, it's a big secret about who it's going to be. Um, inside, uh, this, by the way, they are now on Cybertron um, at Megatron's secret base. And in Inside uh, his base, he's got four pretender shells, and he wants to use one of them to reactivate this uh, to reactivate this deactivated transformer. Who we don't know who it's going to be yet. Optimus, back on Earth, realizes there's some kind of trick, and that him and Scorponok are both being played right now by who we do not know, or they do not they do not know. And uh, Ratchet wants to know how is it possible that Megatron is even alive? We, uh, he should be dead. I mean, for all accounts, he was dead. Turns out that the last time we saw Megatron, Megatron was going through the dimensional space bridge um, and the, an explosion destroyed him. Turns out the explosion just kind of threw him back onto Cybertron, still alive, but barely into, and I like this part, he ended up back in the dead end. Yeah. From the, um, that first issue return to Cybertron where all the, uh, the junked out Transformers are hanging out. And because of all the damage that Megatron suffered, he doesn't quite remember who he is and wanders around the dead end for a long time. And eventually, uh, Megatron's zombie-like uh, form happens upon one of the uh, Decepticon cars being attacked by two Autobots and watching that scene play out. Specifically seeing the symbol, the Autobot symbol. Um, reignites uh, Megatron's memory and he remembers who he is, blows away the two Autobots and to which um, the Decepticons find him and repair him and he's back in, he's back in the game. That's totally a comic book story right there. It's like, that's the Green Goblin story, Norman Osborn story. <laughs> um, Megatron, I can, this part, this part, I don't know why they did this. You, you gotta wonder, what is the plan here? But anyway, the robot that Megatron wants Ratchet to repair out of any robot in the entire universe <laughs> is Scar Starscream. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, what? <laughs> why? why why would you okay anyway it's true it's like the guy who has stabbed megatron in the back so many times stabbed everyone in the back he stabbed scorponok in the back he killed like half the cast but we understand why in the next issue there is a reason why and so we'll find that out in the next issue but i do want to point out look at the editorial note that's on the last page read that little bit part about um about the, the uk stories here because this is where simon He's the Simon's the writer for the UK and the US strips now, and he's starting to fold continuity back and forth. Even though the US doesn't have access to the UK strips, uh, we're still seeing the continuity between the two titles. Oh, there is a, there's a, on page 16, panel number three, 
The mission that Earth to Dreadwind and Darkwing undertook is dealt with in the UK tale Race with the Devil, issues number 215 to 218, where they retrieve Starscream's shattered body and meet the real Ghostbusters. This is one of the rare instances where the US title makes reference to the UK continuity. Yeah, so I think that's pretty cool. And that story, unfortunately, is not collected in the Transformers Classic UK, the UK Classics volumes yet, because they haven't reached that point of the, of the like, they, they haven't released that volume yet. Hopefully they will, but it seems like that line is, is dead. Oh, is it? Yeah, if they haven't published a new volume for a long time. Darn. Okay, so uh, next issue, this is issue number... 58. I remember seeing this issue uh, on sale at my comic shop, and I never bought this one just because of the cover. It's not a striking cover. It's kind of weird. It's like they blew up a small picture of Optimus to be huge. So, like, the line quality is, is, is really dense and, and blotchy and stuff. I, I was definitely of the age where if the cover didn't look interesting, I didn't buy the issue. Yeah, you only have so many dollars, right? right? And so this one, I mean, I mean, in retrospect, it does kind of look cool now. But as a kid, I like I I, avoid, I just didn't buy this issue. Um, starts off with the the pretender uh, shell of the new Starscream coming together, and uh, Ratchet has a guess. It appears that Ratchet has agreed to help repair Starscream. Meanwhile, the Decepticons are now placing bombs aboard the Ark. Remember, Ratchet and Megatron and everyone else is Jazz Gold. Bug and Grimlock are all on Megatron's base on Cybertron. The Ark is essentially unmanned, except for a bunch of Autobots that had the room, the few Autobots that were on the ship that had been blasted during the raid, and the Decepticon cars that are now putting bombs all over the Ark to finally blow it up. We cut to a panel on page 165 where we see Cup coming to and reaching Cup. for a gun. Is this the first time we've seen Cup in this series? No, no. We've, seen, we've, we've seen, him seen him before. When He's did we see Master. Him? He showed up at the same time as uh, Hot Rod. Oh, of course. Yeah, 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 the Headmaster yeah. Okay, and that's why Hot Rod's back as well. Yeah. yeah I, I keep forgetting because they just... <laughs> I feel like they... Like Cup, because Cup is from the movie, and so I keep thinking like he's, he's a movie-specific character. Yeah, no, they... he's not. That's right. They, they, the way they brought those movie characters into the show, into the comic, was... Uh, was through, through the, the Headmasters. Head that's right, I remember now. They, they were immediately Target Masters. <laughs> so uh, what do we got here? Uh... Optimus is fighting Scorponok on Earth, and they're trying to figure, they're trying to get away because they know that there's actually something really bad happening because Optimus can't seem to get a hold of the Ark, or he can't get a hold of Ratchet. Uh, Starscream is now back, but he was specifically told by Megatron to uh, make sure that Starscream doesn't have his complete personality back so he's more easier to control. Megatron sends the new pretender Starscream to go to Earth to destroy his enemies. So here's where we find out what the plot is, like why he's chosen Starscream is because he can, he's wiped his mind and can control him. So he's not going to be the traitorous backstabbing uh, Decepticon that we knew before. Meanwhile, back on the base, Megatron is uh, dealing with Ratchet when all of a sudden the three extra pretender shells that we saw earlier have been activated by Ratchet. Turns out this whole time while he was helping Megatron, he was also using the pretender shells to bring back his old buddies, Jazz, Grimlock, and now Bumblebee. It's wonderful. It was a great, a great plan, um, a, a great way to bring these back, these characters back into the story. It's not, not one of these, um, like, shoehorned, we got to put toys in here. It actually, I think it actually makes sense. So I, I was happy when, they wrote, when Simon wrote it in this way. Uh, and then meanwhile, there's stuff going on with Optimus Prime as well, because he's starting to, he's acting a little out of character. Issue number 59 of the Transformers, skin deep. First, issue, first panel, splash page, Grimlock transforming and just tossing Megatron around like a rag doll. And it is glorious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
We still have Jose Delbo on, on the strip here. I think we're coming to the end of his run. He's got a few more issues left. But uh, you're going to see a radically different art style show up soon. Yeah. And so and he the thing about Jose is that he is uh, he's very consistent. Like he he actually has a style that is I don't know if his style is is different when he's not doing Transformers, but he he works very well in line with Don Perlin who did the book for many years before this. And but I just find his stuff is just stiff because he's working off of model sheets and stuff and it's just hard to do. They're fighting and <laughs> That it's addressed right away on the bottom of page 182. I was going to say Goldbug, but I, it seems like I'm back to being Bumblebee again. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. One or the other of me will blow big holes in you if you don't let Ratchet go. And uh, Ratchet, I think he says... Uh, he, he, yeah, he makes some line about like... Oh, I, call I it did, a yeah. personal preference. I always did prefer your original form. Right. And that's good. I think everyone preferred Everyone did. Form. Yeah, <laughs> everyone did. Because um, these are classics. And so they're basically fighting on this base. And one thing I did like, bottom of page 187, when they realized that the bombs... On, so the Autobots advantage to take back the Ark from the Decepticons. Um, but it's just, it looks like it's just Blur and Cup. Oh, and Joyride's there too. But the problem is that the bombs that have been placed on the Ark, they can't be deactivated. There's nothing they can do now. And then there's a throwaway line on the bottom of page 187 where Blur goes, Oh, no, 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 no. I'm only 4 million years old. I'm too young to die. <laughs> and then I thought, they finally turned Autobots into Micromasters. That took 4 million years to figure out to do that. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, why is, like, our, we got Moore's Law where everything doubles in speed every 18 months or something like that. That's right. How is it possible that these robots, these super advanced robots, just kind of stayed the same for 4 million years? But 4 million Earth years, though, how many Breens is that? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it's just a comic. We let, we let that go. <laughs> It always ends up just being that, but... Um... And so Optimus has, uh, is starting to have some existential issues here. He's, he's thinking to himself, like, why are we fighting? Fighting's pointless. I'm just harming people. And um, he goes through a little character arc, which one of the things that I appreciated about Simon is that he really downplayed all of the headmasters once he got on the book. Like, we're, I know Zarek comes a little bit later, but uh, we're, we're not dealing with Haikyuu anymore. He never mentions Haikyuu in this volume. Uh, and I don't know if he'll do that again down the road, but, but Optimus is Optimus. And he's, you know, he's maybe not acting quite like Optimus, I think, should or would, but he's dealing with some internal issues here and, and is going through some stuff. What, what did you think about that choice of downplaying the, uh, all of the human characters? Yeah, I don't really like them. The, the Nebulans, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't care for them. It's back to robots. People yeah. always want the robots. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. what we want. Even Spike and Buster's spark plug. Meh. We can tolerate them because they're original, but... I, I mean, it. like, really, the, the, the point of the character, them, of those characters themselves, are to introduce us to the world and be our proxy yeah. in the storyline so that they can ask the questions that we want to ask. But at this point in the book, you don't really need those characters anymore. Right. We're just watching them do robot stuff, and we know yeah. exactly what they're doing. We don't need it explained to us anymore. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think that the, I think it makes sense that their characters are done, and I don't want to see Nebulans. I want, I, I, the book is called Transformers. <laughs> I want to see robots. Nebulans in disguise. <laughs> Um, Ratchet being Ratchet. You know, Ratchet's awesome. Ratchet is totally awesome. Uh, what he manages to do, he manages to use that new teleportation device they have and teleports all of the bombs that were all aboard the Ark, which they couldn't be deactivated, but they teleported them to Megatron's base. And Ratchet essentially sacrificed himself in order to destroy Megatron. Megatron's trying to escape. Ratchet grabs him and keeps him there while the bombs explode. After uh, Jazz, Grimlock, and Bumblebee manage to escape themselves before the bomb blows up. So that... That's really cool to see his arc because 
he was so down on himself before. He was so um, depressed at his current state and his current situation. And then to to be placed in a situation where he has to, you know, make the ultimate sacrifice is, I think it's really, really a really great character arc over these last few issues for Ratchet. I can understand why people really like him based on this story here. It's like, it's great. And, and it's treated with such importance. And I feel like, I feel like the art, unfortunately, doesn't reflect how important it is because they kind of just squeeze it into a few panels at the end. Yeah, it's it's hard. If, unless you knew, like, you, you get a big idea of it. Like, it's just the way the panel layout is. The only, the third panel on page 195 where you see the glare from the explosion and Jazz going, or is it Bumblebee? Going ratchet? Yeah. And, um... It's, it's unfortunate. It, it should have been given more prominence on the page instead of the big picture of Optimus Prime at the very bottom of yeah. the issue. <laughs> it's like, who cares? But we, we needed to have a bitter, a bigger, bigger deal, I think. Um, I'm also disappointed that we only get two issues of Megatron and he's gone again, too. Like, he doesn't even get to face off against... Optimus Prime. Now I know that this is Transformers, so you know people come back and forth or whatever. But uh, I would have loved to have him stick around for a little bit longer. Next issue uh, of the introduction of a fairly famous character, but uh, the issue itself, yesterday's heroes, begins with Optimus very, very upset, arms Why? in the air. Why? <laughs> Why did you, Why did you to... die, Ratchet? Which seems out of character for Optimus Prime. Uh, we always think of him as a very stoic character strong. not unfeeling but but yeah strong it has a better control of his emotions basically but and he's so it's so weird here, i think but he's yeah he's in a very different emotional state at the moment so well, it, come yeah. on man he's he's four million years old he can only hold it in for so long <laughs> um he's having a huge he's very upset um and he doesn't even know if he wants to keep doing this anymore he doesn't know what the point of this is anymore yeah he's having a discussion with the computer logically about what can they do to stop all this mindless death and he's really down on himself meanwhile on cybertron <laughs> jazz bumblebee and grimlock uh, are now basically trying to take back cybertron from the decepticons they they are now the leaders of a new resistance group of autobots and they're they are basically running raids on decepticon uh factories and and cities and basically being awesome and this is transformers this is this is what we needed a long time ago rather than them doing their earth things and talking to reporters and, and going on little wrestling matches yeah, this like, is war and yeah, this is back to it we're being bringing war. back to the war between the two factions and it's on cybertron now which makes it more exciting because it's like they're on the land that they are actually fighting for rather than an outpost or whatever so yeah, this is this is a big deal, I think. I like that it's Jazz, Grimlock, and Bumblebee that are leading the charge here. And they're the ones who are kind of doing the, the, the mission on Cybertron. And even, this is the part I was alluding to earlier, on page 202, there's Bumblebee. He's thinking to himself, I love this. Maybe too much, but I can't help it. Before, when I was small, I was humored, tolerated. But now that I'm a pretender, others look up to me, respect me. Like he's a general <laughs> now, basically. Yeah, right. Like he's one of the big cheeses. And I think that's really cool that they let him have that. Um, and yeah, they're going on little raids, stealing fuel. I think this is also the first time. Now I, I, ha I don't know if he was introduced in the UK comics or not, but we have a new character named Thunderwing, who is, uh, he's, a, he's a Decepticon leader on Cybertron in the Royal Palace. And he looks like a samurai warrior. And I actually have to double check and see if there was a toy of him. I don't think there was a toy of him. Um, but we are introduced to three new Decepticon pretenders triangle hold and octopunch bludgeon 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 actually ends up being a very uh prominent character later on cool he's got a great design 
Yeah, I um, like I like these these characters. Except actually, I don't like the designs of the other two characters. But Bludgeon has a really nice, cool look to him. So I'm, I'm he's not like surprised. a samurai warrior with a skull. He looks yeah. kind of like Skeletor. Anyway, Optimus is feeling really down on himself, and he decides that he he needs a timeout. I'm out. Just uh, get along without me. And it's like, <laughs> that's the guys, I'm out of here. And uh, everyone's like, oh, geez, Optimus is really being hard on himself. What's going on? And then <laughs> Hot Rod's like, I have an idea. I have I have an idea that'll, that'll make him want to, you know, that might boost his morale and get him back into the action. So he, tur- <laughs> he turns on this like death droid robot, like basically killing machine. And he's he's got a grid in his face. He's got a remote control. I'll turn on this machine and we'll, we'll fake being attacked by this like death. What is this thing? Mark V guardian droid. If it's running amok, making Prime come to him, uh, Prime will come to our rescue and it'll, you know, give him a sense of purpose. And of course the machine loses control and runs amok <laughs> and actually starts blowing Autobots away. Yeah, like straight right. up actually like, I don't know if he's actually, I'm sure he's not actually killing them, but he's blowing away Autobots. And the gag has always been, Hot Rod, you're an idiot. Like, like, <laughs> this is just another t- example of Hot Rod doing something stupid. And, but you know, at the end of the day, it worked. Optimus Crime comes back to the ship and, you know, promptly dismantles the droid. Other characters that are in this issue, uh, this character I'm pretty sure is from the Simon Furman UK run. It's the Emirate Zaron. Yeah, apparently he is from the UK stuff. And we're going to get some uh, references to things like Iacon and uh, Hydrus 4 that are already established in the UK strips that uh, that Simon is now bringing into the, the US stuff. And for for me, who's never read any of the UK stuff, or you too probably, it's like they're coming out of nowhere. Like all of a sudden, everyone has all this respect and reverence for this, this emirate. And we've never met him before. Yeah. But uh, but I guess you know Simon Furman if has I'm, already established it, yeah, his character. Th- now that I'm reading this, this is the first time because I, I I've I've read Emirate Zaron later on. I never got to see his intro. So to see this being his intro, but it's not even his it's intro. It's not even his intro. That's yeah. the thing. I'm reading. I'm like, man, if I I would be totally confused if I saw this guy for the first time. Like they they seem to he seems to be some big guy. But we really in the know Autobot n- group, and we know nothing about yeah, him. We don't know anything about Cybertron really in general. They don't spend a whole lot of time on Cybertron. So, I mean, I can just assume that he is an important figure that has just existed for forever that they know be- from their early days before Earth. But yeah, it's a he's definitely out of nowhere. So the uh, the three Autobots and some Micromasters, they're going to go to Earth using the teleportation device after talking to Emirate Zaron. Uh, but Bludgeon and Stranglehold and Octo- uh, Octopunch show up at the Autobot base right when they're about to be teleported. And by accident, the teleportation machine sends them not to Earth, sends them someplace else. And when they reappear, they realize that they are in the center of Cybertron. And uh, Primus is there. It's a giant head in this room, this golden room with circuitry everywhere. And the transform, the Autobots are looking at Primus's head. And it, uh, it was alluded to earlier in this issue um, where... Yeah, I think Zar- Zaron says something about, you know, praise Primus or something like that. And Bumblebee. I shall, I shall, Bumblebee, and may Primus watch over you yeah, on yeah. your journey to Earth. And then Bumblebee says, hey, thanks, you know, that's the first time I've heard someone cite the Transformers' legendary progenitor in many a year. I'd forgotten we had a god. This is the first time they've ever mentioned that. Yeah. In the American comics, at least. Right. And so, lo and behold, they're in front of Primus. So there was no, there was no lead up to this in previous issues. They've never no. mentioned Primus ever before this right. one issue. So they mentioned him vaguely at the beginning, and all the way to a full-blown shot of him at the end. 
But again, this is something, this is a concept that Furman had already introduced in the UK strips. And I figured so. Yeah. And so, yeah, bringing, in fact, this whole origin story that we're going to see uh, in the next issue is apparently something that existed in UK strips already. Like he had already told the story. So he's bringing it over to the US uh, for the first time. And it's great. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's <laughs> good, good stuff. stuff. This was a good issue. I really liked um, these new characters. And I think the reason why I like these new characters better than the other characters is that we're only getting one or two of them at a time rather mm. than like six or seven <laughs> all yeah. at once. Uh, and they, uh, especially he puts an emphasis on Thunderwing. And so he, he treats it, he treats this character different than he would treat like when all of the Micromasters come all of a sudden or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so I, I, I like that. And then, like I said, the visual appeal of Bludgeon makes him a cool character as well. Uh, what do you think of Optimus Prime's, um, you know, him quitting and coming back again? Um, I am, I'm good with it. I'm actually quite pleased with, it shows that he's not just, he, he is, there is a, a struggle with being the leader and that it's, he's not perfect. And yeah. that uh, there is an ongoing struggle in his own self about uh, how to, like, do the ends justify the means? Um, it's not so black and white anymore. I remember an issue, I don't even remember which issue it is, but they showed one of his early days, a flashback of his early days as the, as the leader. And like people weren't, didn't trust him at the time uh, to be a capable leader and that kind of thing. You remember that issue? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I feel like that we were so far removed from that optimist. And because um, all we really know of him is the, the very confident leader. And, and, and yeah, like you said, being able to see him in a different light and actually have some character development is really nice because he's the leader. We yeah. get to see some more personality from that character. Okay, let's keep on going here to uh, this next issue, which is uh, a really great one. Uh, issue number 61, the primal scream is on the cover. You see something screaming and you see Jazz, Bumblebee, and Grimlock being thrown back. The issue itself is called Primal Scream and uh, starts off with this creepy character uh, in a cloak. You can still tell he's a robot because he's got like robot feet and that kind of thing. But, but definitely right away, looks different. Right away, Kurt, what do you think of the artwork? Uh, it's so different. Um, personally, I think it's fantastic. It is, it is dirty. I don't really yeah. know how to explain it. Like the, the yep. lines are very harsh. It yep. looks like someone had sketched it. Um, He's got a definitely pressed, a thick line. Yeah, thick lines. They pressed really hard with the pencil. <laughs> well, or the ink brush or whatever. And like, and yeah, it, he, he uses a lot of blocky shadows. Um, I, I, I don't know how fans reacted to this artwork, if they liked it or not. So, okay. I, I, at this point in the story, I had issues from all over the place. So I know what the artwork becomes later on. Yeah. And some of the issues later on, I remember that when this art, as a kid, I didn't like this artwork. I can understand that. As a sure. kid, I did not like this artwork. Yeah. And it, I remember on a couple of crucial issues later on, they used this style of artwork and it was very polarizing. People either loved it or they hated it. And now that I'm an adult, I, you know, I, I've been exposed to a lot more um, media and comics. I love it. Yeah. And now as an adult, I understand like have you, it looks like the artwork you'd see in a UK comic, like Tank Girl or uh, Judge yep. Dredd. Well, it, it, here, here's what I think. First of all, this is Jeff Senior, who is uh, who is is notable for being a, a, one of the, the you know the um, oldest uh, Transformers artists, along with Don Perlin and Jose Delbo, and uh, and coming up Andrew Wildman. It's like those are kind of the guys, the classic Transformers artists. Now he's become one of these classic guys. He definitely has such a different style. It's stylized. Yes. And what I like about this, and I, prob I probably wouldn't like this when I was a kid either, if I had experienced this too, just because it's so different. 
But this is the first time in this Transformers series that I feel like the characters are actually characters' designs rather than being copied from a model sheet. Yes. He, he strips away a lot of the detail. Yes. And he doesn't have to have every single uh, moving part in place. Yes, yes, yes. We understand these characters, and so therefore he can actually draw them, I think, a little bit better. Uh, they, they, they look more or organic or organic I mean, in like, a sense yeah i mean like you know it's grimlock you're yeah. right he's missing most of the detail in it and you still know it's him but because he can do that because he takes the detail away i think you can get more emotion and more movement yes. out of these characters the other thing that jeff does differently than all these other characters is that he loves close-ups and he loves big panels and so he he the the pacing of this issue is different because he lays out his artwork in a very different way than Jose Delbo did. Yes. It's a joy to look at. Yeah. Um, very cinematic. And I, I, even the angles, like just like looking at how he decides to put the, the camera and where we're looking at certain characters and the angles, it looks fantastic. It's a breath of fresh air. And I think it's something that uh, when artists moving forward, who are fans of the Transformers moving forward, started to do their own stuff. Um, whether they realized it or not, they probably drew uh, a lot of inspiration from these issues just because the storytelling is better than what uh, what Jose Delbo and Don Perlin were doing before this. I think the artwork, you know, what also reminds me of is uh, original Ninja Turtles, kind of. It's just the, oh, yeah. the way, yep. the way they're posing, they're, yeah. like they're standing, they're posing, there's action, but it's almost like static. I don't really know how to, like that punch there on the page of 223, like there's no emotion, but you can it, there, it, 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 there is and there isn't. Yeah, I understand it, what you mean. It yeah. looks really cool. It's, it's a good shot, and it, it's just as dirty as Kevin Eastman made those original Ninja Turtles comics as well. You're right. Yeah. It's got that independent kind of feel to yes, it rather yes. than Marvel assembly line. So now we're trying to basically bridge the UK and the, and the US comics. And um, the, the three Autobots learn from this cloaked figure the origin of the Transformers. Uh, and as you mentioned, it was already told in the UK, but this is the first time American audience would get to learn about this. Because at this point, the movie's already come and gone. But we are finally in the comics learning about Unicron. And in the comics version, this version... Turns out that there was two demigods. There was Unicron and also Primus. And that uh, Primus managed to trick Unicron into putting his life force into a metal planetoid. But the cost of this was Primus had to do the exact same thing. And they retell this uh, origin story a little later on as well. But I just remember that um, Primus ends up remolding uh, the metal planet he's on into a giant factory called Cybertron. And that he gives to his children uh, something called the, the Matrix, the genetic Matrix. It has a power to destroy Unicron, who himself has also transformed his planet into one giant. Instead of a factory, it's essentially a, a planet that eats other planets and it can transform into a giant robot. But the Matrix that Primus has created has the power to destroy Unicron. In the issue itself, when you see Primus and Unicron being put into the planetoids, they look like they're very close to each other. But according to the comic, they're very far away from each other now, and they can't locate each other. That's actually one of the reasons why Primus is asleep right now, is because if Primus is awake, his connection to Unicron will allow Unicron to find out where he is and destroy him. 
And Primus doesn't want that to happen yet because he has to wait for his children to be ready to fight Unicron before he wakes up, before he lets the Chaos Bringer know where he is. And unfortunately, at the moment, his children are very much divided. And so that's why he does not want to wake up yet. During this big story arc, Bludgeon, Octobu Octopunch, and Stranglehold find the three Autobots and engage in battle with them. And unfortunately, during the battle, Primus wakes up. Yeah, there's a ricochet off of uh, one of the Transformers and it, it hits Primus in the face, wakes him up, and then he screams, the primal scream. Yes, and of course, the very last page, big sh uh, shot of Unicron turning his head because he just heard Primus' scream and now he knows where Primus is. So the, the collection has the last two pages on the same page, but uh, if you were to buy this single, this original issue, um, I'm pretty sure, I have to check it uh, to be certain, but I'm pretty sure that the big reveal of Unicron would be a page turn, uh, because usually the last page would be on the left-hand side rather than on the right-hand side. So you get those four huge panels of of, uh, you know, there, there are shots of close-ups of different parts of Unicron, and you don't know. And if you've watched the movie a million times, you're like, oh man, is this going to be Unicron? And then you turn the page, and it's this huge reveal, this awesome splash page of Unicron. He's massive, and there's like moons around him or whatever, and, and it looks amazing. And, uh, and it would just be such a great reveal. Uh, I can imagine kids just losing, losing their minds over that. It would be so amazing. So Ratchet sent Starscream to Earth uh, to fight for Megatron. And Megatron was under the impression that uh, Starscream would be easily controlled because he uh, has no personality now. He's, Ratchet's removed his personality. Turns out that Ratchet put a back door in there that would eventually allow Starscream's personality to come back out. And being Starscream, he's a complete coward and he stops the fight. So I love that he, that Furman has these plots going on. Like the Starstream plot has now been going on for a number of issues. And now they're ramping, ramping up to this Unicron plot that's going to extend for like a year or something like that. And, uh, and stuff is happening and, and tension is building and all of these stories are starting to compound over top of each other. And I think it's wonderful. Um, Scorpinox, we have a cutaway to Scorpinox uh, Decepticons right now. And they're having a huge argument about what to do with Starscream. Uh, that's something that we actually didn't mention in the last issue, is that Scorponok, uh through Zarek, um, teamed up with Optimus to stop Starscream or to, to take care of some sort of threat or whatever. And so his, now his faction is like not trusting Scorponok's decision-making decision because he teamed up with Autobots. And also they're upset that uh, he's, for some reason or another, decided to keep Starscream around, even though Starscream has almost twice succeeded in destroying everybody. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> And his old, his old reasoning is keep your enemies closer. Keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. Yeah. So the next five issues, which we won't finish in this volume, because there's only a couple in this volume, I believe. There's three, yeah. There's I don't know why they volume. put the, the, the break in the middle of this five-part story, but they did for the, the IDW collections. We're introducing new Transformers, as usual. And I kind of like the way they've done this. Usually what you would do, well, what, what's been... What has been the method in the past is they would introduce all the new wave of toys at the same time in the same issue. What they've done in the next five issues is they've introduced a small group of new toys at a time so we can focus on them in one particular storyline. So um, this is the Matrix Quest, one of five, issue number 62 of Transformers, title Birds of Prey. And our focus, our hero of this uh, episode is Nightbeat. Is he any, any sort of special Transformer? Uh, yeah, he was a headmaster. But he was in the previous wave. For some reason, they gave him prominence in this particular issue. Along with a couple of other guys as well. What are the other guys' names? Siren and Hosehead. 
Well, who's going to name a toy Hose Head? <laughs> Come on. Mom, I really want Hose Head for Christmas. The Autobots have now found out about the, the how Primal, Primus's scream in the last issue has basically given Unicron the location of Cybertron. And that without the creation matrix, um, they won't be able to defeat Unicron. Now, here's where they try to blend the two uh, different style, uh, several different continuities together. In the original Marvel comics, Buddy Ansky called it the creation matrix. It was never an object. It was just a some kind of life force that only Optimus Prime had. Yeah, weren't they? They like grew eggs at one point and planted the their little. Yeah, didn't they have? They I remember that one story. It was early on where they all had not maybe they weren't eggs, but there was they were growing something in their lab that they were put inside the Autobots to give them new life. Oh yeah, that was just like uh, microchips. But Optimus Prime had to give life to those 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 uh, those processors. Oh, yeah, using his creation matrix, but it was never a physical object. In the last issue, we finally got to see something very similar to what the movie introduced to us, which was the Matrix. It was the circle in, in that little gate or little holder or whatever yeah. it is. In the comics version, it looks very similar to the movie version. This is the first time we've seen the Matrix in the comics, and they call it the genetic Matrix. So let's go say that again. In the comics, it was called originally the creation Matrix, which is some kind of energy force that Optimus had, and only Optimus had. Then in the previous issue, we saw something called the Genetic Matrix, which was uh, very similar in design to the movie version of the Matrix, which was something kept in someone's chest plate. And uh, that was the only thing that could destroy the uh, Unicron. So what this sounds like to me is uh, in the original series, Star Wars, the Force is an energy that, that surrounds all of us or whatever. And then in the prequels, it's midichlorians. It's yes. genetic. It's, it's inside it's, of it's, us. Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. Anyways, so they, they decide to just say that they're one and the same thing. Right. That, that, and that... Uh, if you remember a long time ago when Optimus died, they jettisoned his body into space. Yep. And it turns out the whole time, the Autobots just assumed it was some kind of life force thing. They didn't know it was actually a physical thing yeah. that was in Optimus' Oops, body. where's that body now? Yeah, and now they, can't, they don't know where the body is, and they need that body back so they can get the actual physical Matrix And back. so that's the Matrix quest right there. And I think this is brilliant. I, I absolutely love digging diving deep back into a little plot point from many 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 issues ago and making that a relevant thing like that's what chris claremont would do in x-men and that kind of thing and like so this is this this is my comic geek kind of just swelling up here because it's like that's that's so awesome that he's reaching so far back and it's like tying stories from in the past into what's going on now i love it um, and so Nightbeat and his cronies are on this planet, and it is the uh, the whole issue is basically a film noir issue. Yeah. Um, and I'm not gonna lie, I had a little bit of trouble following the crosses and the double crosses, <laughs> but it was basically a Transformers issue that ripped off the Maltese Falcon. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, it's, it's not even hidden. It's like, it's, it's, it's so obvious. Up. It's there's, straight up. There's a picture of Humphrey Bogart in the opening splash page. And so it's like, you obviously know that this is what it's supposed to be. Um, the characters are even named the same kind of thing. Like the, 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 the main bad guy, his name is Gut. Whereas the villain from Maltese Falcon, his name is Gutsman. And um, on this planet, they're trying to find any clues to where the Matrix might actually be. And they know that a bunch of the, the unsavory gang type characters on the show are all after this this Jade Falcon, uh, and after meeting a femme fatale, uh, he, Nightbeat, thinks that this Falcon that he happened to come across might actually be, or somehow is connected to the Matrix that they're looking for, because it will somehow bring life back to this desolate planet that they're on. 
What I appreciate in this one is that it, it, they think that they found the answer to their problems and they're about to steal it. And this is the whole like uh, stealing cultural artifacts and taking them to museums kind of a, a deal. It's like Nightbeat realizes that um, by taking, the, taking the, the, the bird for himself and depriving the city of its own, uh, its own uses, uh, you know, he's, he's no better than the bad guys. And so he leaves it and he puts it back in its spot and then it starts to reform and revegetate the world again, bringing life back to the world. So I thought this was a really nice ending. And this whole Matrix quest, like these first three issues, I haven't read the last two because they're not in this volume. But the, these first three issues are, they're essentially standalone stories. With an underlying with an, with an quest. underlying quest, yeah. And so they, it's okay, I guess, that only three issues are in this volume. But uh, I, I liked this as a one-shot issue. It was nice and refreshing from the, the massive ongoing story that had been going on in the past few. It shows that Simon has uh, a sense of humor and that he can write in different styles. Uh, and even though this was a one-off character and I've come to not really appreciate one-off characters, this, this guy Nightbeat was okay too. <laughs> it was also still drawn by Jeff Sr. So his gritty style worked really well with the film noir aspect of of the writing like it it, it really complemented each other yeah 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 uh the next issue instead of film noir we've now moved on to the western and we have jose delbo back and this opening splash page with these new transformers here it's like i've just gotten used to jeff senior with his sort of deconstructed way of drawing transformers and now we have our paper detailed drawings back and they just look stiff again yeah <laughs> it's like we're back to that. Um, they're on some... This is another group of Transformers that are on a different area searching for the Matrix. Uh, Kings of the Wild Frontier. That's a reference to Davy Crockett. Yep. The issue begins with the three Autobots coming to this planet, and they see... It looks like three... Um, Humanoid alien characters. Desperados, maybe. Des Desperados, yeah. That's Chasing after what appears to be an innocent little boy. Alien boy, bald, green outfit. And, uh, of course, the Autobots see this as bullying and intervene. Oh, and the three Autobots are uh, Override. Override, Backstreet, and, and Dogfight. Triggerbots. Oh, and what are Triggerbots? These are quick lever action spring-loaded weapons. These dynamic warriors are sure to send the Decepticons running. With their flip-out weapons and lower price points, the Triggerbots were affordable replacements for the Autobot minicars oh. or Throttlebots from 1987. Okay. So they're, they're, yeah, they're the deluxe they're the, the size Transformers of this time period. This story was kind of fun. It was a classic, like, twist ending there. Yeah, the twist ending was, I, I, you know what, I appreciated it. I yeah. thought it was pretty good. It was, uh, it, it kind of gave itself away. I mean, it kind of kept looking at the camera and winking at you. Yeah, that was unfortunate because they could have just kept the whole thing a secret. Yeah. And, but it was a good plot ploy in the middle because the the Transformers are welcomed into the home of these aliens. Who the, the they had just rescued from the, from the, from the, Desperados. the Desperados. And they stay the night. And then the next day they're like, okay, we got to, we really got to be on our way to find the Matrix. And the next day they're like plowing the field and like all of, all of a sudden they're, they plan to stay longer. It's like, what's going on? So it's a good mystery, the way that they started it out. And it turns out, of course, it was the whole... As you progress through the issue, you start to realize quickly that the Desperados were actually the good guys and that the aliens themselves, the, the, the farmers, are actually the bad guys and that they're, um, they were actually shapeshifters and manipulated the Autobots to stay on the farm to work for them by using some kind of mind control. 
and that uh i mean in the end the autobots end up killing the entire family <laughs> yeah which was like it's brutal i was like i was like <laughs> what like they even show there was a the, the last page on page 277 he blows one of them up and then uh <laughs> and then he comes out of the yard house and he's like Matrix, forgive me. He gave me no choice. What about the others? Don't ask. Yeah. It was us or them. <laughs> oh, man. And I'm like, what? <laughs> well, uh, yeah. And that was the end of that issue. Another fun issue. These issues are all only 16 pages because they had a few of the, you know, the uh, profiles at the back that they collected later on into the Transformers Universe miniseries. And so, and same with the, the Budiansky issues as well. They were all 16 issues as well. But these, the way that Simon writes is so well paced that they just seem like a breezy read. They're really easy to read compared to those earlier issues in this volume. Uh, I just, uh, I, I, I ate them up. I had a lot of fun, even though it's like, really, we're in the Wild West with Transformers. It, it's, he made it work and it was still enjoyable. I love these old movies. I love movie references. And this last issue... In this volume, issue number 64, uh, Deadly Obsession. <laughs> it lampoons. Lampoons. Harpoons. <laughs> Harpoons. Uh, one of my favorite movies. There's two, there's two references here. There's... there's two references, but one movie references the other in a way anyway. So, yeah, yeah it's, a double, it's a double hit. Yeah. All we know is that there are three Autobots. Um, is it Long double, Tooth? Double Header, Long Tooth, and... Pincher. Pincher, Double Header... Oh, one of the things about these old, uh, these, these are pretenders, right? Yep. And because they look like human. Uh, I, in, in these early issues, when Jose Delbo was drawing the pretenders, like when Bumblebee and Grimlock and them come back, they, the humans still look like robots. Like they draw, they draw the face so angular, like it's obviously not a real human. But then the way that, I guess this is still Jose Delbo, with, uh, with Al Williamson inking this issue, this is amazing because Al Williamson was one of the greatest inkers at the time. So it's a treat to have him inking, oh, I guess just the first four pages. That's kind of disappointing. The rest of it's not him. But anyway, these guys actually look like human, but then we have a guy named Doubleheader who has two heads. So there's no way that he's going to pass as, an, as a real <laughs> human. <laughs> the issue is basically about how these three Autobots ended up on the sea planet and a animal that should not exist anymore, that should be extinct, has come back. And it's basically a mechanical whale of some type. In fact, it takes Longtooth's leg. Yeah. And so now Longtooth is obsessed with catching this thing. It's a direct reference to Moby Dick, in case you didn't know. <laughs> but the thing is, uh, what I found super amusing about this is that, yeah, it's essentially Moby Dick. Um, the whole issue is about... Uh, Longtooth just becoming obsessed with trying to catch this this creature. Um, because, and, you know, the reason why this is even on the Matrix Quest is because this how else could this creature possibly, that's basically extinct, all of a sudden reappear? There must be something similar to the Matrix at work here, something that bring, gives life. And that's why they came here to investigate in the first place. So anyway... I, I marked over a couple of things. I mean, when I was reading these these uh, speech bubbles, yeah, I read them in the voice. So they're uh, page two eighty six uh, text bubble. When the wreckage of the last one was washing up, I did me some checking, and then you have this alien yelling out, "This was no boating accident." <laughs> and I, as, I was reading. I, it wasn't like I read it three times. As soon as I read it, I heard it in Richard Dreyfuss's voice. Yeah, right. Like, it was just, like, immediate. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of, like, many lines that are straight out of Jaws. And I was so, I was so happy. Yeah. <laughs> I was so happy when I was reading it. Yeah, you can definitely tell that Furman is a lover of, of movies. 
Them, overloaded, not a sailor amongst them. They're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> this one was a good one, too. I love the artwork with, that, with the whale. There's a huge splash page with the whale coming out of the water. It's a great m miraculous moment, and it's like that's what we should have seen when Ratchet died. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I also, I also like the narration boxes. The, yeah, right. Um, it, I think, I'm sure this has been done elsewhere, but when I'm reading this, just the... Well, I, th I think, you know, I wanted, you know, part of enjoying writing any comic is is having fun yourself. Yes. And, you know, I I loved, you know, I'd already used the night the Nightbeat character in a little, a couple of little five-page stories where he's like a private eye and we were riffing on Raymond Chandler. So the first chapter of Matrix Quest was just another one of those UK ideas given more room to breathe. Okay. So, you know, we did the Private Eye, Maltese Falcon, Pastiche in that one, and, you know, Nightbeat features very heavily in it. And then I just thought, you know, it's nice to go to, you know, not just planet after planet where they're almost like, homogenized sci-fi planets. I really wanted to do the Western world and then the the ocean world and bring into those all these other influences, like, you know, there's nods to Shane yep. in uh, Western one. The, uh, the Deadly Obsession one is obviously Moby Dick, yep. but somebody pointed out recently on social media, there's a whole page that's, a big reference to Jaws. Right. Where boats are turning up in a harbour and the harbour master's going spare and saying they're all going to sink. Yeah. And so I, I was just having fun and then the sort of next part is aliens and an alien. And, and so, you know, I just, I, I suppose, like anything, you just want to be enjoying it yourself and hope that, that enjoyment then translates itself to your readership who can kind of get how much you're enjoying it and enjoy it themselves. So as a volume, this one was maybe two-thirds not uh, two-thirds good, one-third not that great, yeah. would you say? Yeah, I would agree with that. And But the thing is, it's nice about it is that the, the great stuff is how it ends. And you're going to see, Kurt, by the next volume, like it's, it's going to be, it's the best stuff. It is, it is my favorite part of the Transformers, the next two volumes. Well, it's actually, for us, it's going to be Volume 6, and then there's only a few issues in Volume 7. And we've already talked about the rest of Volume 7, which was the miniseries. Yep. Yep. So in, this next, in the next episode, we are going to tackle the rest of the issues. We'll combine them all into one big, long episode, and uh, we'll get that right for you. I'm excited. I think it's going to be a but lot you, of fun. But you see what I mean, though. Oh, you yes. see how it's totally changed. And Absolutely. You, anyone, like Simon Furman, like, yeah, he, he saved it from going getting canceled like i mean it eventually did get canceled anyway it and did, i think but the that's story between now between now and the cancellation you're gonna get the best transformer stories this is yeah. this is the good stuff here that's coming out i can't believe it it's just like it's such an about face it's so drastically different and it's like why haven't we had this the whole time i mean we kind of had had it the whole time. we had good the, stuff the, the early stuff wrong. was was really good but yeah it needed this kick in the pants and i'm glad that they reached out to Furman, who was doing good stuff in the uk strips apparently 
And um, yeah, I mean, Simon has built his whole career around being a Transformers writer because of this stuff. And it's just remarkable. Wow. Uh, thank you once again, Peter, for uh, being part of this conversation. All right. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Totally. And we'll see everybody next time. See ya. Bye, guys. <laughs>